Hello, and welcome to the Recovery Matters Podcast from CCAR, the podcast where putting recovery first is always the goal. Here we present interviews, discussions, stories, and speeches to cultivate the understanding and acceptance of the power, hope, and healing of recovery from alcohol and other addictions. Here are your hosts, Phil and Sandy Valentine. Philip. Sandy. We recently spent some time talking about your journey through stage four cancer treatment and recovery. And during that time, you had to take narcotics and withdraw from narcotics. And so it was pretty quickly that you withdrew from narcotics. You picked like a weekend (laughs) to just go. I went away fishing. Yeah. I remember it well. So you did it pretty quickly. And about a month later, you approached me after having uh, an encounter with your higher power. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. You don't like to say the word vision, do you? Because you're not, I'm not always sure that they're actually visions. But anyway, I had an encounter with my higher power. I've never phrased it that way, but I like it. Uh, I was waking up from a, a night's sleep where you toss and turn and can't remember if I was still on sleep medication, the good old Ambien. You know, I never was a fan of Ambien because it was like you'd take a pill and then you'd wake up. And it was like uh, there was no sense of time passing. So I can't remember if I was still on that, but it was that time between uh, consciousness and unconsciousness when you're waking up. And I was literally walking a trail and um, um, the voice spoke to me. And I, it was strange that I was even walking a trail because I, I hadn't really done much of that. And the voice said, I want you to walk the Appalachian Trail. And in the dream slash vision, I said, the whole thing? I want you to walk the Appalachian Trail. The whole thing? I want you to walk the Appalachian Trail. And I kind of woke up and I was like, what? And wow. So I kind of got myself out of bed, <laughs> kind of staggered to fi- somewhere to find you because I still wasn't too healthy, and I told you about it. Yeah, I can remember. I think we were in the man cave, and you said, God wants me to walk the Appalachian Trail. And you said? Sure, honey. And you said, that's... Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, you didn't really quite believe me. Thought well, it, you thought it might have been the uh, medication. Could have been. Well, and I was a little pissed off because <gasps> maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but I wanted you when when I was younger and had we had the first two kids. I used to say, "Let's go for a family hike," and you were always like, "Nah, I'm not yeah. going to go for a hike." Yeah, who wants to walk? Who wants to walk? And so I was like, "Okay." And I think had you read Bill Bryson's book yet? I had. I had read that, but years earlier. So I thought you were just kind of connecting with the book and the drugs and the cancer recovery, but... The book was Walk in the Woods. 
which is made into a terrible movie, by the way. Probably one of the worst movies ever made about hiking. But whether it was uh, drug-induced or not, I've never been able to stop you from what you feel called to do. The only thing was stopping you from buying that orange Subaru Crosstech. That's the only time I've ever said It wasn't fl- orange. It was rust colored. It was orange. And I flat out said no, but that's like the only time I've ever said no to you in our entire relationship. I could probably come up with a few other times, (laughs) but we don't need to go there. So the first year it was just you still recovering from cancer treatment and starting to read books. So Amazon is our friend and little by little books about the Appalachian Trail and people who hiked it Some of them pretty bad. Some of them really good just started coming in, and you started sharing those books with me. Yeah. I thought I might as well do the research, right? So I think you also asked me, uh, when do you want to do this? And I picked, uh, how about March 19th, 2015? And this was end of 2010 or early 2011, something like that, when I had this vision. and. You said, why did you pick that date? I said, five years from the day I was diagnosed with the cancer treatment. And she's like, that's nice, honey. Yeah, five five (laughs) years. You're going to plan something for five years? And I figured we'd put it aside till maybe a couple months before. Yeah, you're you're shocked if I mention something five hours ahead of time (laughs) or five days. I've never planned anything for four years. Usually give me five minutes. Hey, you want to go here? You've got your coat and shoes on. Let's take a Cape Cod vacation. When do you want to do that? How about uh, this weekend? Yeah. So um, I did start to read books, and there were some great learnings in in the reading. I really got into what type of equipment should I have. Uh, That completely bored you. But there were some other things that were like how to walk the Appalachian Trail and stories of people who did it. Uh, Jennifer Farr Davis in Becoming Odessa was very powerful for me. Um, There was a book online, uh, Then Came the Hail, which I always thought was a, a great title for the Appalachian Trail book. And uh, Zach Davis wrote a book that became my uh, philosophy. And I'll just summarize one of the key points. He said, you're going on a walking trip, not a camping trip. And so many people got hung up on the camping trip that they carry so much gear that they wanted to be comfortable or what if this happens. And, but if we were just going for a long walk, on a given day, we wouldn't be overly equipped with all these what ifs. And that really helped me pare down everything that I was gonna take and really reorient myself to, it is, it's a walking trip, it's a hiking trip, it's not a camping trip. And I was reading some of the chapters and of the books that you were getting and and pretty much stopped cold when I got to the the guy who hiked naked, or there's a picture of him naked on his cover of his book. Like on McAfee Knob or wherever he was. Yeah. yeah. And <clears throat> in his book, he talked about laying in one of the shelters and a snake up in the rafters, and he had a picture of it. And that's yeah. pretty much when I stopped reading or considering <laughs> hiking with you for, for even a day. 
Um, uh, yeah, snakes ended up being a daily occurrence. Like, so yeah. you probably wouldn't have lasted I too long. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely out at that point. Mm-hmm. But at what point did you decide to take your vision to the board of directors? Yeah, so I was working full time um, as the executive director of the Connecticut Committee for Addiction Recovery. I had survived the cancer treatment and the cancer. <laughs> I don't know which one was worse. To, well, I know I survived cancer, but the treatment was pretty brutal. And I had talked with my executive coach when I came back, uh, Carol Cardis, and she asked me a question, what type of culture do you want to work in? And I really started to think that I wanted to work in a certain type of organizational culture, and currently I wasn't in it. And that was my own doing, so I had to shift the culture. And that was back in 2010. A couple of years working with Carol and um, culture starting to shift, some changes being made, I told her about the walk, and she affirmed it. She said, that's everything you are, that um, I don't like to be chained behind a desk. Uh, I don't like doing the same thing every day. And recently, I think that's part, because I think I have attention deficit disorder, and that this job really lets me bounce from one thing to to another and do it well and then go back to another thing. So it became more and more apparent that I was really called to this journey. The biggest barrier was financial. How would we support the household while I was gone for six months? Or I quit my job and what would happen afterwards even if we managed the six months of me being out on the trail? So about a year and a half to two years before, almost two years before I was um, I put that date in, so this was in 2013. I said, Sandy, I'm going to the board. No. I didn't say that. No, no, no. I told you afterwards. Yes. Because I wasn't real sure I was going to do it at the board meeting. Mm -hmm. And you also didn't tell me that you were requesting a leave of absence or, or, uh, you know, a departure. I probably should have done that in hindsight. But I just kind of, again, seat of the pants, no planning, somewhat spirit-led, I would hope. Maybe a little impetuous, I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, So I went to the board and told them about my journey, about my plans, and they all kind of sat back and were like... And then I remember John Hamilton, who's still on the board today, he said, ask me a question and ask the board a question question. Do you think you can put your face on recovery while you're hiking? I said, of course I do. I have pretty good Instagram follower, good Facebook following. Um, I'm sure I could post pictures and I know people along the way that would um, take me in and do like television interviews or newspaper articles. And so, yeah, I can put my face on recovery. And he said, well, it seems like this aligns beautifully with our uh, vision and mission. Um, and they wanted questions about, they asked questions about who would run the agency when I was gone, all of that. Answered all of them. 
bottom line is they agreed to pay my salary to hike the Appalachian Trail. Mm -hmm. I came home and told you, and after you got over being mad about uh, me me not checking in and saying I was going to do that, your response was like, oh, crap, this just got real. Yeah, it did. Plus, I was working for an employer that would know sooner to pay me to take a walk around the block than take six months off to walk from Georgia to Maine. And they looked at it as a sabbatical. They knew that I had gone through cancer treatment. They had seen the growth of the agency. Um, They believed in me as a leader, and they didn't want to lose me. And I say that, and I say it in all humility because I don't always feel that. I don't feel that I'm a capable leader. I don't, I don't feel deserving of a lot of that. Um, and I've tried to balance that out with recognition of what CCAR has been able to do since I've been here. Uh, but the way they, they all described it, and Tom Kirk, who was pretty straight-laced, um, pretty um, followed the rules. When he um, threw in his support uh, full bore, um, I was like almost stunned because I, I, I went into that meeting not with that outcome in mind. My outcome was like, maybe they give me a leave of absence and I'll have a job when I get back. That might be the best case. But I said, if you wanted to look for a new executive director um, in the year and a half before I leave or two years before I leave, then I'm okay with that. You know, I, I just wanted to let you guys know in um, upfront plenty of time. You don't yeah. like that. Well. <laughs> if you could be, if we're on video to see your face right now, she is not happy about all that. And I probably did that the wrong way. Well, I've always been more concerned from a practical point of view of of supporting our family where you tend to rely on uh, God to provide. And I think we've both been right along the way, Mm -hmm. yin-yang on that. I also really was challenged by I could never leave our kids for six months, and that's what you were contemplating. And at the time we had... 10, 13, 18, 19, yeah. like at the age that they would be when... when uh, They were both at uh, university. Right. So two of them would, when you left, two of them were at the end of their freshman and junior years mm-hmm. of college. Yeah. And then we had uh, two middle schoolers. Yeah, I believe that... Uh, the, it was the right time, and I didn't want to leave the family. As you know, the my biggest battle on the trail was the competition between the desire to finish and the desire to be home. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if we want to skip ahead, but I believe God redeemed all that time. Mm-hmm. I believe that, uh, um, yeah, it worked out. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the things that the cancer situation did build in me the confidence that I could take care of business while you were gone. I I knew that I could do that. So that was never 
a factor. Um, once I knew we were going to be completely blessed by year salary continuing to come in, I knew that I could manage that. And so, you know, once you had that conversation with the board, then one of your most irritating habits began. Wait, I have irritating habits? With intensity. This is new to me. And that is, no matter where we went, it could be the McDonald's counter. It was every restaurant we ever sat at. It's the grocery checkout line. True that. You would look at the food, look at the cashier or the waiter or the waitress and say, I'm not going to eat like this on the trail. And then they, of course, would say, what are you talking about? And then you would launch in and share their vision over two years, almost daily, multiple times a day. And I may be exaggerating just a teeny bit, but not that much. No, a lot. You know the reason why I did that. Accountability? Partly. <laughs> if you're telling the entire world that you're going to hike the Appalachian Trail, uh, you better do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like you, you know, do two years of telling people about what you're planning to do and then walk for three days and come home. Well, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So I was doing it to put the pressure on me. Mm -hmm. And then I had a lot of people over those two years that were really excited about me doing it. Um, and when it came time to drive me to the airport, I think you were about ready to let me go. You're like, see you later. And you dropped me on the curb and drove away. Okay. <laughs> it might not have been exactly like yep, that. But I was just like, looking at the daylights. Well, here I am with my backpack at Bradley International Airport on my way to Georgia. And, so that, okay. pra that practice later, of yours definitely eased my transition. So, And we had people close to us approaching me. You're going to let a... This is ironic, if you know my husband. You're going to let him? Okay. Letting him is not really a dynamic in our relationship. Um, but I was at such a point that I could not wait for March 19th. I couldn't hear about it one more time. I couldn't hear about the product comparison of a spork and which would be the best I spork. never compared sporks. <laughs> Maybe like... Uh, Tents and backpacks and Aww. sleeping bags and trekking poles. It's all very exciting. What shoes to wear? Those are all key components of a successful thru-hike. Two years plus of that kind of conversation. And so one of my biggest concerns, because I was anticipating being free of talking about this, was... Um, I was like, oh, crud, what if he comes back in a week? Like, I need a bigger break from this than a week. Mm -hmm. And so what did I, uh, did I did give you some marching orders. You said I'm not allowed to come home for 30 days. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if he quit and had to go to a hotel or stay with a friend, I didn't or really sleep care. sleep in a tent in the woods for 30 days but or whatever. I needed, I needed a 30-day reprieve from talking about the Appalachian Trail, which is slightly ironic because now we are almost six years out from the start of that journey. 
and the conversation about the trail has never gone away. I mean, we're talking about it here, but my perception of the experience has become one of our experience and not just your experience. Correct. And so that has changed it for me. But I did drive you to the airport alone. Mm -hmm. had to go to work. So I dropped you off on the way to work. And um, I did feel some heart emotion as I sent you off. You Mostly know? relief, though. But, he gone. Yeah. That's what she said. No, he no, gone. No denying. A little bit of relief. Which didn't last for long, but... So my friend Neil Campbell, who runs the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse, she picked me up, and I spent a day with her and, and um, talked to a couple groups in Atlanta. And then on March 19th, 2015, I found myself uh, in her car driving up to Springer Mountain, Georgia, the southern terminus. It was about 40 degrees high wind, rain blowing sideways. Luckily, I remembered for her to stop and get the right water bottle so I could screw my Sawyer Squeeze water filtration unit on top. And we pulled into the parking lot of Springer Mountain and we had to go south. It was the only time I traveled south, about 0.9 miles to get to uh, Springer Mountain, the summit. And as we're walking through the woods, I mean, it's it's windy, cold, wet, rainy. We got to Springer Mountain, and I saw the very first white blaze. And I took the obligatory pick, you know, but I had tears streaming down my eyes. Um, because I had accomplished my goal. My goal was never to finish the Appalachian Trail. My goal was to start. And when I realized that, it took all the other like pressure and, and kind of set me free to see how far I could go. I wasn't under, it wasn't like this mandate that I had to finish. Nobody ever gave, gave me the mandate to do the whole thing. Uh, so a lot of times I parallel, parallel that to many aspects of people's lives or my own life is that start something uh, with the end in mind. But if you never get to the start, you're never going to complete it. So if you wanted to get a master's degree or something like that, or a, college, or a high school education, take the first class. You wanna get your recovery coach professional designation, take the first class, or make that first call to see what that's like. Start. So came back down to the parking lot, you know, my first nine-tenths of a mile north. I put on my backpack, all this research I had done for backpacks, and I still had like 50-something pounds in, in my backpack, which was way too heavy. I took out all the clothes because I was freezing. The wind was whipping. The rain is pouring down. I watched Neil drive away. I'm standing in the parking lot, and literally my feet are frozen. And this feeling of like, 
the trail was so big, so enormous. I'm sitting on one end of it, and I have all this unknown in front of me. I was literally frozen, and I was just watching the trees blow back and forth, these huge, giant pine trees, and the rain's hitting me in the face, and I'm shivering from the cold and the fear, and I prayed. I just said, I don't know what to do next. Help me. And I listened, and I, it's like, it's classic, though. It was like the whisper in the storm, right? I mean, and it was one word that I hadn't heard before, and it served me well ever since. And that one word was continue. And that unfroze my foot, my feet, and I took my first steps north and kind of went from there. Yeah, and one of the things that I didn't imagine is that we were going to be able to connect almost daily mm-hmm. as you wandered. Okay, you weren't exactly wandering. You are following those white blazes. but mm-hmm. um, And we ended up having a completely different relationship as you hiked through those conversations Mm -hmm. because it was no longer about who's going to take who to soccer practice and all the mundane things that were part of our normal life. It was um, these late night conversations, well, late for you after after eight because hikers go to bed. Hikers go to bed early. Um, You sharing what had happened in your day and and uh, me sharing, you know, my thoughts and feelings about what was happening with our family. And we kind of launched after, oh gosh, I don't know how long we were married at that point, but 17 years-ish, we launched into a whole new phase of our relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm in my cozy king-size bed in our bedroom, and you were barely th- covered by a tent Sometimes uh, in the middle of a thunderstorm. It was my luxury suite. I called it my luxury hotel suite that I carried on my back. But I did learn a lot early on. Four days in, I stopped and said, I'm sending you home my backpack and buying a new one. And you're like, wait, what? How much is this going to cost and all that? But my backpack weighed almost six pounds, and this new one weighed two pounds, and Uh, They did a shakedown. I got rid of 13 pounds. And as soon as I put that on after four days of traveling with the the, uh, big heavy pack that was hurting my back and shifting, and I put this on, I said, I had my first um, idea that I could really do it then because it was so much more freeing. I wasn't like laboring or lumbering under the weight of this backpack. And that was symbolic, too, that I had lightened my pack. And this phrase came to me, the lighter the, your load, the further you can travel and the more enjoyable the journey. And that's not just weight on your back. That's like your emotional backpack, too. The lighter your load, the further you, attra- you will travel and the more enjoyable the journey. And... I did look forward to those nights where uh, I would get all settled, uh, 
be in my tent, on my sleeping pad, in my bag, call you and tell you about the day. It was like my connection to you and to the family still remained. Thank God for cell service. Mm. And those nights where I didn't have it, um, I didn't like. I didn't like. I remember one night early on, I called you and you were like, honey, are are you going to be okay? I said, why? Because I'm looking where you are. It's supposed to get to like single digits. I go, it is? And then I got all <laughs> worried and, uh, you know, I I slept with all my clothes on. It was That was the chilliest night on the trail. Um, but it was just a one cold night. No big deal. There was another time where you called and you said, you know, I just hiked a, I don't know, 3,000 foot foot ridge to call oh, you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was this moment where I felt like how romantic that was. And then in the next moment, I thought about who I was talking to, and I said, did you have to hike that anyway? And I said, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but I did, though. I hiked up all the way up a 3,000-foot mountain and got to the top and called you. Yes. It's all in how you spin it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some moments, though, um, along the trail as I, as I learned that um, I just kept learning. And I think I shared those learnings with you. And little did we know, well, I guess we kind of knew that our daughter Sam was uh, preparing to join us. I mean, the wildlife, the mountains, uh, being outside, my body transforming, becoming more and more fit, more and more healthy. Um, I kind of had an excellent game plan that I wasn't going to set out and do huge, huge miles. Uh, I was going to acclimate to the trail. So I started to do like, I would say just 8 to 10 miles, but I think about doing just 8 to 10 miles today, that's a long way in the mountains with a backpack on. It's a long day. Uh, By the end of the trail though, I was doing 15 to 18 easily. Um, And it wasn't wasn't a big deal. Um, Well, the other irony, and I think it is a lot because of Bill Bryson's book, uh, A Walk in the Woods. Yeah. So people think you're going for a walk in the woods (laughs) and it's hiking boulders, stretching your body, reaching for next levels ridges, ledges. There's three main trails, uh, long-distance hiking trails in the United States. Uh, They're the Triple Crown, the Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail. And the Appalachian Trail, it is the most difficult because um, of the elevation changes. They say the elevation changes are like climbing Mount Everest up and down 26 times. I remember we were, uh, where were we? We're near uh, North Carolina or something like that. And um, I was talking to one of the people that maintains the trail. And I was like, uh, what's the trail like ahead? And he goes, well, the easiest part's behind you. And I just, uh, I always cracked up when he said that because that's always true. The easiest part is behind you. And he says, it's perfectly flat from here on out. And I go, yeah, right. He goes, yeah, it's 50% up and 50% down. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. 
you know, I think I flipped him the bird or something as I walked away, but he left. So the second month after you left, I went down to Virginia where uh, Joshua and Samantha were going to college. And it became clear there was there was some interest in the two of them when they finished the semester hiking for a day or two with you. But during that weekend, it became clear that Samantha had some bigger ideas about it. Mm -hmm. And we got her equipped with uh, hiking shoes and some of the things that she would need. So by the time that she finished the semester, she joined you. um, And we thought Josh was going to hike for a day or two as well. But he surprised me by by coming home. and Sammy ended up joining you on the trail. And by now you had built this trail family that, you know, we could probably spend a whole hour talking about. But you had you had built a community. And Sammy was able to join you in that community for 23 days. Mm-hmm. Um, was she there, wasn't he, for that long? Yes. Wow. So what was it? It was a little nerve-wracking for me getting her to where she needed to be and in a safe spot to catch up with you. But what was it like for you to have her join you? So I met her in Damascus, which is like 400 miles in, roughly, up the trail. And they say if you make it to Damascus, then the rest is a breeze because you can. the rest is all mental because physically you have what it takes to do the rest of the trail. The trail is roughly 2,200 miles long. I didn't necessarily buy that. And I didn't quite make it to Damascus because uh, I, I just didn't quite make it. So I got a ride in and I met her. And when I heard her voice, I just broke into tears. It was the first family contact I'd had since I started. So we drove back south of Damascus and hiked and the very fir- first few hundred yards, we opened up a gate and we're walking through a pasture, a pasture with cows walking alongside of us. And she's like, Dad, have you done this before? I said, no, this is a first. And she saw that I was kind of like chill about whatever happens, happens. And that girl impressed me so, so much. I mean, I think she walked 10, 12, 15 miles the first day, and she met... Uh, in new boots. Yeah, in new boots that kind of hurt her foot. They were waterproof. She got... Don't get waterproof boots, but that's a whole other story. Um, and met um, Rocksteady and Paradox and a few of the other people who had trail names. My trail name was Right Click. My right knee clicked going uphill. But that actually was another dream where I had another vision which said, thou shalt be called right click. And I was like, what is right click? Where did that come from? And it was like, but I couldn't say no to it. You know, one guy, usually the trail will name people. And one guy wanted to call me Manchester. I kind of like that one. You know, that would have been a cool trail name. But I'm right click and I'm perfectly okay with that. So Sammy... um, kind of had some episode where episodes where it became very difficult for us. We got lost one time and missed a turn, and she got really discouraged. 
But then the, the next day we were on this spectacular vista and she understood why I did this. And I took picture of her off like on a rock outcropping with a s clouds literally just like at our fingertips. And I knew she was communi communing with God and she was just at peace. But there's the highest peak in Virginia is Mount Rogers and we were approaching that. And she was starting to get her hiking legs under her. And she was, uh, she stopped and I caught up with her and she turned around and looked and her eyes, you know, like when she is with kids, mm -hmm. they were just, I, I like went, huh? Cause it was so, she was so lit up. And she was like, dad, can, I said, go and she just flew up just found her hiking stride and was gone i mean she was worried about holding me up from that point on i was holding her up she was gone and that evening we camped overlooking this incredible vista had a fire with sparks going up and our tents were close to each other after, and she was laying in her tent, I was laying in mine. And she just said, Dad, thank you. And I, I just choked up because the ability to hear your child say something like that and appreciate that, and it was that was all she had to say. The very next morning, we woke up to wild ponies mm. all around mm. us, um, and, and that was magical. Um, and she was there. She shared a lot of the magic with me. Um, what was it like for you when she was gone and you heard her, the stories of the trail? Yes, we really didn't talk about it until she came home. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, hindsight, as I look back in the rearview mirror, I have, I have mixed feelings now. On the one hand, on the one hand, it was transformational to see her confidence, her ability to deal with adversity, difficult circumstances, you know, pulling out from deep within stores that you didn't know you had of resilience and courage. On the other hand, I'm still kind of pissed off because that has freed her. The confidence she built living in the woods for 23 days has freed her to spend many more nights on ridges with her legs hanging over <laughs> ledges and overnight trips, uh, camping on all different trails, yeah, and like ultimately led her to to Kenya. to live and work in in Nairobi, Kenya. And so, I know that that is my humanness, my human container, wanting her nearby. <laughs> And that she's not called to be that because that light you see in her eyes, we see when she's in Kenya with her students, when she's in the slum, mm -hmm. planting a church. And so it is a bit bittersweet, but I know that it was meant to happen. 
And that is really when the trail became a family adventure Mm -hmm. is when Sammy joined you and spent those days and celebrated her 19th birthday in the morning with you Mm -hmm. at a diner off trail and was home celebrating with us that evening. Right. There was a time, there was one time too where uh, we we were at uh, Dragon's Tooth and she had climbed up there and I don't know if I want to tell the story about the miraculous healing, Um, but this thing happened that was just spectacular. I fell and but I, I, she was down there. I told her the story, and I told her I didn't think I could go on. I don't. I think I didn't think we were going to make it all the way to McAfee Knob and all that, um, because I was rattled. I was hurt. I was sore. Um, and so I left her, and she was pretty upset. I guess she called you, and I went down the trail about probably 10, 15 minutes, came to a road, and there was this huge spread of trail magic, which you became very good at, which is people there meeting hikers and feeding them and letting them sit in chairs and uh, resupplying them and encouraging them. And we were hiking with this family of 10. You know, they had five of their kids hiking with them uh, off and on, and they were at this trail magic place. So... My attitude had changed, and when and I know she had talked to you, and probably had prayed together. So the next day, we decided to continue on, go to McVie Knob, do this like very ambitious nineteen plus mile hike. Um, and you know, to see her on McAfee Knob and the picture that she painted for us of be, us being there, this is like the epitome of adventure. And you know I'm very adventuresome, and I think a lot of our family is very adventuresome. Um, and for her to be on that adventure with me for that period of time, it's one of the greatest gifts of my lifetime. And you made that happen too. I mean, the whole family made that happen. Um, and the next day was her birthday, and right before we, right before she ended her trip, we had been hopeful to see a bear. And we had walked 19 miles, and we're shuffling to this road, and all our legs are killing us. I mean, we're not even talking. We're all, like, in pain. Just, And then all of a sudden, Paradox is like, shh. And she's going like, she's holding her hands up like clawing, and we're like, and she's pointing in the woods. And sure enough, there's a bear. And uh, we all stopped, took pictures of the bear, watched the bear, and and it was like, uh, just a little gift to see uh, right before she left the trail. And then we asked Paradox, what was that? What were you doing with your hands? She goes, well, I was being a bear. Like, you, st- <laughs> you stand on your back. You were standing up. It was a standing bear. And I'm like, okay. We didn't know that was the bear symbol. <laughs> bear signal. Phil, we can't talk about a trip that took six months and walking 2,189 miles without taking a break. So let's take a break and 
it's not 2,189 miles. It's 2,189.2 miles. And that last .2 miles is very important. So, yeah, I think we do have to continue this at a later time. Thank you for listening to Recovery Matters. We hope that you've connected in some way with what you've heard. For more information, you can find us on the web at ccar.us. Like and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at CCAR, the number four, recovery. And use the hashtag recoveryfirst to show support for our mission. Fire feeds fire, so if yours is burning right now, reach out and share it with someone.